Freedom Hut. The attack on Catholic Amy Coney Barrett from Democrats. Hunter Biden's questionable activities in a new Senate report. Footage from Kenosha comes out to bolster the self-defense claim of Rittenhouse. The Breonna Taylor announcement about police coming out later today. And Trump bans critical race theory. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. An honor and a privilege to have you here with me. As always, fired up here for the election season. Getting ready to see where all this goes. And I am a little surprised, I'll be honest with you, that at a time when there's a... To call it a a heated election would be quite an understatement. And to call it an acrimonious Supreme Court battle would also be an understatement. Uh, But there's a a relative pause here in in the main narrative from the left. I, I think that perhaps, and I've been saying this all along, that my expectation is that they will say completely unhinged insane things let's recall it was not long ago that they were accusing uh the the you know the grown-up equivalent of an altar boy of brett kavanaugh that they were accusing him of being a serial gang rapist from high school and they will say anything to try to stop amy coney barrett the problem is their usual attacks even if they lie i think they've recognized they're going to have to get really creative with their evil. They're, they're going to have to extend themselves, get a little bit uh, outside their comfort zone with the usual sexist, racist. I mean, they could call Amy Coney Barrett a sexist, but I, I think we all recognize that wouldn't really work all that well. You know, they, they could claim that she had you know, sexually assaulted somebody in high school or college without any evidence or any underlying believable, credible story whatsoever. But that probably would also be a bad idea. So what are they turning to here? And what is this really all about? They're having to go after her Catholicism, comparing the possible elevation of Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court as a a chapter in a real life version of The Handmaid's Tale. I'm pretty sure that The Handmaid's Tale, they they got the whole reference, isn't it in the the Gospel of Luke that uh, Mary says, I'm to be a handmaid of the Lord when she is told that she will give birth to Jesus. Anyway, The Handmaid's Tale, that's what they're telling us it would be if we had the elevation of of Amy Coney Barrett to this uh, Supreme Court seat. And they have the votes. The Republicans have the votes. So the narrative so far hasn't worked. They're trying to come up with something. I don't know if they really believe that defaming a Catholic for her faith, I mean, for just being a mainstream believing Catholic, defaming one, is a good idea right before the election. Although I will say Catholics who in majority vote Democrat uh, have largely turned into 
a you know for for a lot of Catholics, I should say, their Catholicism is something more akin to being in the Rotary Club. You know, it, it's a little bit more like a like a community organizer group where you go twice a year and you know you tell people you're Catholic, but you don't really believe it. You're like you don't believe any of that stuff. And there are a lot a lot of those Catholics are are going to vote Democrat. A lot of those Catholics are going to be fine with all of this because they don't take offense to the slandering of their faith because it's really more of a of a cultural and social tradition for them. But maybe it's going to backfire on them. I, I can't tell you that. I, I can't know in advance. I somebody who was uh, raised Roman Catholic and went to Jesuit school and studied for years in school, the scripture uh, and, and the New Testament. I'm I'm amazed at how many Catholics think that the uh, the Democrats are the ones that really represent their ideals. But nonetheless, that's what ends up. That's what ends up happening. That's the uh, the new reality that we all live in here. So they're going to try the, the process moves. They're going to try to just do what they can to prevent this from happening. As I've said to you, here's Chuck Schumer saying that they're going to use tools to delay this. Play 12. Do you believe that you have tactical options to slow them down? Yes. A, we have tactical options to slow them down. We will use every tool in the toolkit. Now, admittedly, McConnell has uh, changed things to change the rules, so we have fewer tools and they're less sharp. But every tool we have, we will use. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to try to prevent access to the building, I think. That's a very... A very likely pathway here. You know, the activists, the Democrat stormtroopers, they're they're the ones that will make sure that people can't actually show up and and vote on this. Um, They're going to say, well, that this is a terrible day for women's rights. Isn't it amazing? The Democrats argue consistently that the elevation of an eminently qualified mother of seven to the Supreme Court is somehow a loss for women. Yes, modern feminism has done so much for women, hasn't it? Negated uh, huge parts of, of who they are and undermined motherhood. But anyway, I mean, that's that's not new. We've been seeing that for a long time. I only wish that people would wake up to this reality. Uh, it, they really they really want to force as many women as possible. And I, look, women should be allowed to choose whatever their destiny. If they don't if they don't want to get married, don't have kids. Great. You're allowed to do that, of course. And if you want to be a person who's only chasing a career, that's fine. But a lot of women that I know have been pressured into being little cubicle warriors, you know, trying to make partner at the at the, uh, you know, the city law firm or something. And they're miserable. They're absolutely miserable because they don't have time to have a family. They don't have time to raise kids. They're doing these things. But if you even say that out loud, people shout at you. Oh, you're like one of the bad people in the handmaid's tale. This is the same way that the left has. They have a few uh, cultural uh, cultural analogies that they like to make or that they have a few cultural references that will come up constantly in politics. They love Harry Potter and they love the handmaid's tale. Those are the two things. I know other people like Harry Potter, too, but they're the the liberals need to read another book. Uh, But I, I think that. They're going to do everything that they can to frighten people around Amy Coney Barrett, and it's not going to work. But it does create a frenzied state of mind for the Democrat base so that then they're more willing to do the insane things that Chuck Schumer can't say out loud, can't tell people they're going to do or they, sh- they should do. 
but he is hoping that they will. And then they're just going to say things that are obviously factually uh, wrong. I mean, here's CNN's Allison Camerata, for example, making a claim that anybody with a, a passing familiarity with our legal system and, and the Constitution would know is, is not really an accurate statement. Play three. I think one of the interesting discussions about abortion is that the country is generally divided. I mean, almost split right in half about how they view it. However, in the latest Gallup polls, 20 percent of the country. Oh, I should say only 20 percent of the country wants to outlaw it. OK, so you can feel differently about the different nuances of it, but only 20 percent wants to outlaw it. And that's ultimately, you know, obviously what would happen if Roe versus Wade were done away with. And so it's just interesting. I mean, obviously, we're, we're segueing into a political stance here. But if the country does, you know, would support the direction that this is going in. She left out that 80 percent of the country believes that third term abortion should be illegal. Or maybe it's 70 some odd percent now, but huge majority of the country thinks that third term abortion should be illegal. Europe, which is a very progressive place, Europe has restrictions on abortion. Most Europe, I mean, it depends on the European country. Uh, but there are European countries where, you know, the first trimester you're allowed to. But beyond that, they, they say that, this, you know, the science, this is the European argument. I mean, the real argument is life at conception. But the, the European argument in these states would be that pain and consciousness because of the development of the fetus has reached a stage where you know, four months in, this is, a, this is a baby, obviously. Democrats won't admit that. No, it's not a baby. It's something else. It's just a clump of of cells that's growing that looks a lot like a human that has a heart and a brain. Uh, But what she says about how it would obviously be outlawed is obviously untrue. There would be some states that outlaw. There would be some places that don't want abortion to happen. But there'd be other states. It would become a state's issue. Which makes a whole lot more sense than the Roe v. Wade decision. And then you'd have places where there was this practice going on. You'd have other places where there wasn't. Federal funding would probably have to change. You wouldn't have federal funding for uh, uh, clinics that do abortion. So, I mean, it would be a huge victory for the pro-life movement, obviously. No question about that. But it wouldn't be illegal everywhere. But they're just going to say things like, it would be illegal. Well, where? Where specifically? And I think that, you know, California and the morality, for example, in New York and California of its abortion practices would feel very different to a lot of the residents if they couldn't force Texas and Alabama and uh, Wyoming to also have abortion, right? If they couldn't force these other states to do it under federal law. So there's, there's also that. There's the creeping fear of, oh my gosh, what if people can actually stop and think about what has been going on and who has been supporting this and how grotesque and immoral it is. But this is the most they can do. It's really all about Roe. I mean, the people that say, Amy Coney Barrett is such a setback for women and they're all terrified about her more than anything else. It's Roe v. Wade, which is now a a plank in the Democrat Party. It's really essential to the Democrat ethos in a way where I don't think that they can handle the prospect of not having that horrible Supreme Court decision in place. I think it emotionally damages and drains them just to think about it. But they haven't come up yet with the Amy Coney Barrett destruction routine they, they they haven't shown us their hand i'm wondering what it will be perhaps it will just be process they'll be catholic bashing they'll be anti-woman stuff of course but maybe it really is just they they're pulling the fire alarms in congress and forming human chains at the front door and hoping that does it 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg lived an inspiring life. She paved the way for women in the law. And America mourns the passing of a true public servant. The Constitution of the United States provides that the president shall appoint judges to the Supreme Court. And before the week is out, after we honor the life and memory of Justice Ginsburg, President Donald Trump will do just that. This Saturday, President Donald Trump will nominate another principled conservative, a woman to the Supreme Court of the United States. And after the United States Senate fulfills their duty to advise and consent, we're going to fill that seat. They're going to fill the seat, folks. I, I got to say, I'm, I'm pleased that the Republicans really never missed a moment. I, I think there are a couple things that come together on this one. One is that by filling by filling the seat, they are likely more likely to keep their seats. So this is one of those great moments where political self-interest coincides with the supposed policy preferences of the Republican Party, right? With with the obligation to voters that the Republican Party has. So what's best for our Republican politicians is also best for the people who voted for them. Look at that. It's amazing how that comes together. That, that's that's very encouraging. It, it does not seem at all to me like uh, there's going to be some uh, wavering on the part of Republicans. I mean, Collins and Murkowski, they can duck out and. You know, this may be a, this may be an instance, this may be a circumstance where you say, well, let's let them do that. Or I should say not not be too hard on punishing them because we'd rather have Collins and Murkowski than a Democrat. And they don't want to lose reelection. So they're taking this more moderate path. Uh, but you, you just remember, you can't trust them, though. So they're going to be Republicans. You can't really count on. It's better than a Democrat, but not not much. Mitt Romney. I I was very hard on him in the first 24 hours when that, well, to be fair, there was an announcement that came out from someone close to Romney, according to the media. I think they tried to set the narrative beforehand. I, I, I think something was going on here because there was an announcement that said that Mitt Romney was not going to vote on a Supreme Court nominee until after the election uh, or, you know, would not think that that was appropriate. And then the, the Romney camp, such as it is, said, no, 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 that's not true. So something something happened there. For sure. But that was why I initially thought Romney was going to make Benedict Arnold look like a team player. Turns out e- even Romney seems like he's going to hold the line. Play four. I think there's some perception on the part of, of some writers and others that, gee, what happened with Merrick Garland was unfair. I don't agree with that. I don't know whether you you think it was a good decision or not, but it wasn't unfair because it was consistent with history. It was consistent with precedent. It was consistent with the Constitution. So the idea that the Merrick Garland decision was unfair and therefore it has to be made up uh, by doing something uh, which also wouldn't make a lot of sense, which is saying to President Trump, you can't get your nominee either. That, that just doesn't follow for me. Uh, the Garland decision was consistent with, with history. The decision to proceed with a new nominee is also consistent with history and, and precedent. Uh, and uh, that's where I come out. Yeah. My friends, Mitt Romney's correct here. Look at this. The Merrick Garland thing, not the same situation, folks. Not the same deal. It's very straightforward. There's no reason that they can try to pretend. And sorry, Democrats, 
Elections have consequences. The, the one thing Obama said, the one quote from Obama that I got to say is useful and true. <laughs> so uh, what is one of our maximums on this show? We give credit where it's due. And we're giving credit to Mitt on this one so far. And we're going to give credit to uh, even Barack Obama for elections got consequences. Yes, it, it is obvious, but it is true. So I, I think that we are going to go forward here. And the libs, I will say, Watching them squirm over this one. They're just so upset about this. Oh, my gosh. They're going to have a conservative Supreme Court. And it's not even going to be that conservative. You see, here, here's the problem. And I, I want to I say this before we start making fun of more silly libs. Because of what a conservative's judicial philosophy is, we don't get as much perceived uh, or actual political value out of the Supreme Court. We don't want a super legislature of the Supreme Court. That's not what I'm advocating for. That's not what those of you listening to this show want. Maybe some of you want that, but I mean, generally speaking, that's not what we want. Because all we're asking for is that there are judges who understand the law and apply the law based upon what it says and what the intent of the Constitution as written with its amendments is. Not that they have something they prefer and then they shoehorn that into a dishonest pseudo legal framework to give people the policy outcome that they prefer. That's legislation. That's not the judicial uh, the judicial realm. And that's why I think, you know, as conservatives, it's not like we're going to get we're going to get a Supreme Court that says, okay. You're going to have universal concealed carry across the country in every jurisdiction, which I think we should have. But and, and you're going to you know, they're going to have a flat tax only of 15 percent. And we're going to, you know, that would be great. That would be great. But it's not going to happen. We don't we don't have a, a conservative Supreme Court is not a magic wand for conservative policies. So the, so liberals should really chill out a little bit about this. But the problem is a liberal leading Supreme Court is a magic wand for their desired outcomes and policies. So they're losing that. It's like a kid that's take, having his favorite toy taken away. They're like, I want it back. They're so sad about this. Too bad. Elections have consequences. Too bad. But that's the, the, the key difference you're going to see here. So in the, on the one hand, I want to tell all the Democrats and liberals out there, just calm down, okay? The world's not going to end. It's actually going to be a better place, but they won't like it as much. But the law will be the law. That's all we want. We want the law to be fair and applied evenly and equally and morally. Not to have it be some scam to make Chuck and Nancy happy. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So if Republicans are committed to forcing a conservative justice onto the court 42 days before the election, someone who could destroy the Affordable Care Act and overturn Roe and strike down carbon pollution legislation the Democrats might pass in the future, then you just have to make those Republicans pay the political price. Every single cent of it. Because every single vote makes a difference for what the universe of the possible is going to be going forward. And that counts for election night and whether election night is close and they try to steal it through the courts and the Supreme Court justice they just confirmed. And that 
pertains to whether the Democrats can add justices to the Supreme Court after the election or grant statehood to D.C. and Puerto Rico, adding new senators or anything else. All of those discussions depend upon maximizing the short term political price over the next 40 days so that it can pay off in the long term. That should be the plan. No one can lose sight of that. I, I just love listening to the libs panic over this stuff. It's, it's really enjoyable. I, I just want to make a a montage of libs in a frenzy around how they think America is is over because we don't have Ruth Bader Ginsburg anymore to hold up the, the far left agenda in the Supreme Court. Uh, I, I, it's not true. It's going to be OK. America's going to be OK, folks, uh, despite what they may be saying. But they often transition immediately into telling us what they really believe, which is that they just they need more power so that they can use power against the other side. They will in the same sentence, they'll, they'll in the same breath, it feels like, say that Republicans don't respect norms, so give us more power so we can destroy all the norms. Like a, like a child that's, you know, gotten a little sand in his eye from somebody playing with a toy near them in the sandbox, the liberal response is now they're going to run over there and, and bash the kid on the head with their little plastic pail. Right. They want to they want to escalate. So they, they claim outrage at the initial minor. It's not even an infraction, but we'll call it an infraction. Uh, they're, they're what they're doing. What the Republicans are doing is 100 percent legitimate, legal within the rules. You know, the, the, that's it. I mean, if somebody were to claim after a Super Bowl that, hey, we missed that. We missed that final field goal because they tried to they iced the kicker with a timeout beforehand. That's not fair. That doesn't count. People would laugh at them. Right. They'd say, no, those are the rules. Right. Those are the rules. This is this is about having an adult perception, an adult view of life. And liberalism is a refuge for a lot of people from that. They, they think that there's some some emotional safe space that they create through these left-wing echo chambers of the media and Hollywood and academia, where they don't have to grapple with what is a reality that they find uncomfortable. They'll just negate it. They'll come up with narratives that pretend that what has happened has not happened. Oh, okay. That those aren't really the rules, that there's some price that has to be uh, paid by Republicans for all this. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. Look, if they want to advocate for more power for the left, of course, that is politics. That, that is the very, the very heart of of our system fine go for it but to pretend that there's some grave injustice that has been done here no what's really happened is we've lifted up the rock of our system and looked underneath and seen a lot of kind of creepy crawly unsettling stuff about our judicial system which the liberals have weaponized and used to their advantage for political purposes for decades and conservatives sit around i mean i have to sit here and say Roe v. Wade is bad law. It is it is an indefensibly dishonest application of the law and a Supreme Court precedent with massive implications for the country. And we just sit here and, I, you know, I, OK, hopefully one day we'll overturn. Go through. We go through the system. And that's just one of many, many examples. I mean, I want to take it all the way back to Wickard v. Filburn, where they're saying effectively commerce of any kind has to be interstate commerce. Because even intrastate commerce affects interstate commerce, and therefore you can regulate all commerce at a federal level. And that's that's the the 
decision that has been the many headed hydra of judicial overreach for for now going on 100 years. I mean, it goes back to uh, World War Two era, I believe. So it's a terrible decision. But that's another one that need, these are things that need to be revisited. Right? These are areas. And, and yes, with it, o- Obamacare, although with Justice Roberts on the court, I think out of a collegial and professional deference to that Bush pick. Oh, I thought Bush was going to give us great judges. Nope. Nope. Not so much. Who, who could have thought that uh, Roberts would really just be the second incarnation of Justice Kennedy? Who could have thought that that? Well, uh, some people, I think, were worried about it at the time. But, and even Gorsuch with the LGBTQ decision uh, based on the Civil Rights Act. I mean, you know, even Gorsuch uh, gets a little bit of a progressive impulse to do what he thinks should be done instead of what the law says is to be done. Uh, but they're, they're back to the live panic. I, I think it's fascinating and it's very entertaining. And it's very it's very fun to watch them as they continue on with this nonsense. And uh, here, here's an example, because they, they've now, I think, woken up to they, they can whine about it as much as they want. But this Supreme Court thing, this is happening, <laughs> right? Like they have the votes. It's going to happen. Trump's going to name the justice on Saturday. Now, I'm not saying what I've told you. Of, of course, I mean, my other prediction is they're going to try to do physical blocks of this. I mean, they're going to try to just do something to shut down the system, not to use the rules within it, but to actually just override the system of the United States Congress and the Senate and the confirmation process. So I'm not saying they've given up, but they, they spent a couple of days. You're not going to hear a lot more about it was her dying wish. It was Ruth Bader Ginsburg's last wish. We were hearing that for 48 hours. Who cares? I, I, do, I, I care zero. Every other rational, well-adjusted American cares zero. They're, that is not a thing. That, that does not matter, right? This would be like me telling the IRS, you know, uh, you know my, uh, my Uncle Mortimer over here says that I don't have to pay taxes, so that was his last wish. Sorry. No. That's a nothing. No one cares. So they're going to have to let that one go. That's going to be... That's going to be dropped by the wayside, I think. Be like, it was the last wish. No, no, no. And the assaults, which is why, I mean, I disagree. Some Republicans are saying, oh, we should have, I should say some commentators on the right are saying we should have a different, shouldn't be Amy Coney Barrett. It shouldn't have to be a woman. No, no, we want a woman. We, we, if we want this to happen, because I, I know this will sound crazy, but you have to remember we're dealing with crazy here. The left has gone nuts. They're not rational. They're not reasonable. They don't care. If we put forward a male Supreme Court justice, they would absolutely run the Kavanaugh playbook over again. They would try to they they would they would accuse this. Whoever it does, you can find any judge, any judge anywhere, any conservative judge anywhere in the country who's a man. And they would find someone to come forward and say, he raped me. He sexually assaulted me. He abused me. And that person who, just like the ones who came out against Kavanaugh, would think that she was doing a great service for women to save Roe v. Wade, completely justifying the lie. So wouldn't wouldn't feel even the least bit like she was being a political hatchet woman and what she's doing is grotesque and horrific. No, would think that she's a hero. 
Oh, remember? Why would Christine Blasey Ford come forward? That was what they were saying. Why would Christine? Um, because she wants to be a hero to the left? No, she does. She risks everything and gains nothing. I remember that in 2018. I remember people saying that. And I, and you can check this when I, I, although I guess you have to dig through some of the tweets. You listen to those early shows. I was like, Christine Blasey Ford is not telling the truth, folks. She's either confused or just a liar, but she's wrong very early on. And uh, I, I will say that that process also for a lot of conservatives, uh, I wouldn't say it radicalized us, but it steeled our courage a bit. It showed us that anybody could be Supreme Court, now Supreme Court justice, then, then nominee Kavanaugh, that the libs in their lust for power would do this to the people that you respect and love the most and, and not feel a moment's remorse over it. You're a conservative. Whatever has to be done to stop you, to ruin you, is fair game. There's no morality, no decency, no, no honor that would prevent a Democrat from doing what they did to Kavanaugh. They've never backed away from it. They've never apologized for it. It was the most grotesque political character assassination I have ever seen. It was all lies. And that was that was a, a sea change, I think, in the thinking of a lot of people on the right. This is why also like the never Trumpers, these people. Eh, but what about we mean? I mean, the Goldberg French article that now everyone's kind of just laughing at. I mean, those guys, I'm sorry, they're it's just weak. It's just weak tea. It's just, it's it's not it's not intellectually worthy. It's not morally worthy. It's just they've boxed themselves into a position, these never Trumpers. And now they'll desperately try to use. Uh, to use the most eloquent prose they can to be pusillanimous backstabbers to their own side. That's what really happens here with the Never Trumpers today. And it's it's sad, but it's true. Uh, because if you saw what happened with Kavanaugh, I mean, there's just no justification for that. It can never be okay, and it should never be forgotten. And a lot of us remember. That's why when the libs cry over this, our response or over the a possible elevation of Amy Coney Barrett. I think it's who it will be when the libs cry over it. Our response is cry more libs. They earned this. They earned this. And I also remember when people were saying that it was sexist and wrong to even suggest during the Obama presidency that Ruth Bader Ginsburg may be too old, maybe time to retire. And the libs said no, they would not give up their superstar hero, RBG, and now they're paying the, the price for that decision. You know, elections have consequences. Decisions have consequences. The decision to go after Kavanaugh, the decision to keep RBG in place well beyond. I mean, how many cancer treatments, how many health scares uh, w- was she able to have before reasonable people would just say, look, there are 330 million Americans. I, I don't think we have to have somebody. As the Supreme Court justice, there's a lot of good judges in the country. It, nope, they wouldn't let it go. A cult of personality would not allow it. And we had to hear about not only is she the greatest jurist uh, that the liberals have ever you know, come across in their lifetime, but we had to hear about the, all the overhead presses and burpees and the, that there was this creepy cult of RBG that they created. It was it was weird. It was weird. Um, she was right about uh, Kaepernick. I will say that said the Kaepernick protests were basically stupid and disrespectful. She was a smart lady, she was a smart lady. There's no question about that. I just think she's wrong on some critical moral issues of our time. She was smart. Uh, but now 
Now it's just ram it home time, folks. Make it happen. Get ready for what the other side's going to do, though. I What makes me uncomfortable is just that I can't. I know they're going to do something so sickening and underhanded to try to stop this. I, it just makes me uncomfortable because I can't see what it is yet because they really have so few options that nothing within the realm of sanity would be acceptable, possible, or sufficient. So what would a crazy lib do to stop Amy Coney Barrett from becoming the next Supreme Court justice? That's the question we have to ask to understand what the Democrats are going to do next. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, I don't want to talk about who I'm meeting with, but I've spoken to many and we're getting close to a decision. We're going to be doing it on Saturday. We're going to be meeting on Saturday. Uh, A lot of paperwork to do, and I think it's going to go very quickly. Oh, I don't think so. We need nine justices. You need that. Uh, With the unsolicited millions of ballots that they're sending, it's a scam. It's a hoax. Everybody knows that. They really are doing everything they can. The Democrats are doing everything that they can conceive of to undermine the sanctity, integrity, reliability of this election and also of our very processes of government. Uh, and, And what's pretty astonishing, but I think very obvious, is that they do this knowing knowing that uh, it's going to send the country down a very dark path if Trump wins. Right. They, they understand that. They're making these de- decisions right now, not because they think Trump is going to cheat, but they worry that Trump is going to win. It's not the same thing. And they want to have some excuse. They want to have some mechanism for agitation, just like uh, Marxists, right? What's the most important thing? It's not that you have solutions. It's not that you have good ideas. It's that you know how to exploit people's frustrations, envy, their agitation at their own failures and at other people's successes. That's all you need. And Trump's success here in getting reelected will drive them insane. Now, is it going to happen? I, You know that I'm putting everything that I've got into this, but It ain't over until the Zoftig female vocalist sings. So we shall have to see. And uh, I I did appreciate when Kaylee McEnany, uh, she said this yesterday. It's it's exactly what I I did my show. And later on the day, I see Kaylee McEnany is saying the same thing about Don Lemon. You know, Kaylee's an old old friend of mine now, almost a decade. Uh, Here's what she said about the, the lib plans here. Play nine. Democrats cannot win their argument on the merits. They cannot win on precedent, so they must search and destroy. Don Lemon said the quiet, the quiet part out loud last night. He said this, we're going to have to blow up the entire system if the president does his job as outlined 
in the Constitution. That's the difference between Republicans and Democrats. We fight to protect the system. We fight to protect the Constitution. When Democrats say outright, we are going to blow up the entire system because we do not get our way. This president will proceed undaunted by Democrat threats. President Trump will fulfill his duty. President Trump will appoint the next Supreme Court justice. President Trump will protect religious liberty. President Trump will protect our freedom of speech. President Trump will protect our Second Amendment. Under this president, our rights will be upheld, our Constitution safeguarded, and this president will fill that seat. Kaylee's been doing a great job as press secretary, and she's laying it down there. Why is it that when the left is upset, we all just assume that there will be riots? That bad things will happen. And that that doesn't filter into our broader political conversations about maybe there's a political party here that needs a major rethink, realignment, needs to spend some time in introspection. It's not the Republicans, folks. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, my God. I don't know. We won't call them fascist comments. Fascist. Fascism. Fascist. Call fascism. Fascism. Just fascist. Fascist. Notions of fascism. Xenophobic. Racist. Demagogic. Racist. Sexist. Xenophobic. Autocratic. And fascistic. Donald Trump's a fascist. Someone like a fascist or a tyrant or an autocrat. Fascist rhetoric. Fascist language. Fascists. I'm, I'm glad that you're starting talking about fascism. Hitler. Right. Fascist rhetoric. He's talking the way fascists talk. Autocratic. Fascist. Nazi Germany. Before the rise of Hitler, fascist language to Hitler, fascist Hitler, Adolf Hitler, 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 well, Hitler, 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 but Hitler from what Adolf Hitler preached in the early 30s. Let's just say it once and for all. You know, Morning Joe really is for people with 95 IQs who think they have 120 IQs. But in case you didn't already know that, I, I hope that supercut of what they talk about on Morning Joe or they're discussing Donald Trump. I just I saved you. I don't know. That show's on for like three, four hours in the morning, you know, just sitting around. Joe Scarborough waxing philosophical on MSNBC. That's right. Just doing the little dance for the libs. Oh, Joe is a Republican, but now he's seen the light. Do your little dance for the libs, Joe. Do what they want, like a little puppet, little marionette. Oh, they pay you very well. Who needs integrity? Who needs to stand for something to care about something? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It's all because of Trump. Scarborough and Mika were super buddy buddy with Trump. While he was running for president. But then he decided he didn't like him so much. So now it's he's a fascist. He's a fa- <laughs> what frauds. Oh, the worst people in America are TV journalists. They really are the worst, the worst, the most worthless, v- uh, the most worthless as compared to their pay scale are TV journalists and the most replaceable and yet most arrogant at the same time. It's, it's pretty amazing. Producer Mark, where did that supercut even come from? Uh, that's, that was great. I just want to give it a hat. Do we know? Uh, I believe Tom Elliott from Grabian. Oh, Grabian. Okay. Because uh, that's a great one. Just fascism. Always oh, a fascist. Always oh, a fascist. Always oh, a fascist. H- how is Donald... How are we even having this conversation anymore? Donald Trump is a fascist because of what exactly? Because he sounds like a fascist? How is that true? Like, what are they even saying? It's just it's just words. Fascism for the left, which, as we know, fascism is a ideology that shares the same roots. It's a collectivist ideology, seems as shares the same roots of communism. 
and the fascists and the communists were fighting over the same recruits in the 1930s and into the 1940s. And, you know, there's just there's not, you know, democratic socialism is what the fascists in Nazi Germany were uh, were called. Nonetheless, they say this. it, It reminds me there's a movie from the 1980s, I think. I think it might be a Witt Stillman movie called Barcelona. And there's an American who's like a naval attache, who's a clearly a, a Reagan style Republican. And, and he walks around and these these left wing Spaniards, because Spain was very left wing at the time. There are all these countries, European countries that, you know, are much less impressive now than they were three, four five hundred years ago. And they want to blame somebody so that they tend to blame America. That's, that's a, there's that Greece. It's definitely true. And Greece hasn't been that awesome. And oh, God, going back now a couple thousand years. Uh, you know, but you, you go back to uh, to the, the uh, Barcelona movie and, and they just walk around and people call an American who wears a military uniform. They just say fascist, fascist. That became the the political slam uh, that, that they would throw around that. And it was true for a while. People would just say fascist is a, a word that is used to mean I think your politics are ugly and I don't like you. But that's not what fascism actually is. So so I think it's interesting that they complain about the demagoguery of the other side, or they say that Trump is, is a demagogue, uh, is a demagogue and, and, of course, a fascist. But then they use terms that are inaccurate to describe a guy that they don't like just because they're smearing him, effectively. That's what they're doing. But this is all part of the cry more lib phenomenon. Cry more lib, as we should say to them, about Amy Coney Barrett. And, and I'm going to say this. I, I plan on being a sore winner if we are victorious in this re-election. I, I'm not going to say, oh, it's okay, Libs. You know, you'll get them next time, and we're all Americans and everything else. No. I mean, we all are all Americans, and the country's going to be better off if Trump wins, but mm-mm. no sympathy. No sympathy for the Libs if they lose politically, right? Like I said, they get, they get the benefit of living in a country that will be wealthier, better, more rule-of-law-based, more prosperous. So they'll be safer. They'll be wealthier, They'll be uh, treated equally under the law under Trump presidency more than they would under Biden presidency. So that's why I don't feel sorry for them, because it's just an emotional state that will be violated for them. It's all it's all psychological. It's not based in reality. And of course, there are left wing interests and things that won't benefit as much from Trump winning. But I mean, the, your, your average American, even if they don't know it, would be better off with Trump as president for four more years. Joe Biden is a loser. Democrats have known this for decades but Hillary was Hillary was supposed to be their their dynasty for eight years. And we know this. They tried. She lost to Obama. They tried again. She lost to Trump. Right. It was all it was all on Hillary. And they, they didn't have a bench that they could go to. So they put forward this guy who's you know, it's like they've brought a a journeyman professional, uh, you know, basketball player out of retirement. And everyone's like, look, the guy's got two bad knees. He was never that good to begin with. And they're saying, no, let's make him the the franchise player of a brand new expansion team. He's worth $20 million a year. We're looking at them like, you guys are nuts. This, this, we, we know who this guy is. This guy's impressive. Why would we? I mean, this is the, the there are so many fundamental questions that Democrats can't answer today that they should be forced to answer. Why would why would. Democrats expect us to believe that a presidential candidate who had run three times previously and who was 
a third tier, even fourth tier candidate then. Now, when he's past his prime, too old for the job, clearly shows signs of slowing down intellectually. Now he should be the leader of the free world. This, I mean, he's just a retread. I mean, this is a, a rebrand of a weak brand. Whatever works, whatever works. That, that's all you're going to hear. And, and the, the way they plan to get this done is merely by saying uh, over and over again that Trump is a fascist and that he's basically Hitler. And m- meanwhile, the people that are telling you if you don't wear a mask constantly, including outdoors, for which there is no scientific evidence to support that that's a good idea. None. Doesn't exist. They can't have. There's not a single study that shows there is any considerable risk whatsoever. Not one. Outdoors. Doesn't exist. Walk around New York City right now. 95% of people on the street are wearing masks outside by themselves. And people say, oh, Buck, but maybe it's more. No, it's not more convenient. It's annoying and uncomfortable. They're doing it because they've been brainwashed. All right. I keep my mask in my back pocket so that if I have to go into a store or something, I, I can. And so I do. But in that environment where we have such an abuse of science, such an abuse of these, they're claiming that Trump is the fascist. If he had even authoritarian tendencies, never mind an actual authoritarian design on the future of this country. He was given the greatest opening imaginable for that, a pandemic disease that they say he didn't take seriously enough. Trump could have been the one to say federal executive order, shut down the following businesses, federal executive order from from the White House, from the desk of the president. Everyone has to do X, Y and Z, you know, and he didn't. I mean, some things obviously shut down the travel, but I'm talking about really oppressive tactics to deal with this virus, including uh, counterproductive ones. The most oppressive voices during this have been Democrats all along. Some Republicans have gone along with them, but the people pushing for the most draconian, scientifically unsupported responses to this virus have been Democrats, but they call Trump the fascist. Look, ultimately, it's just they're they're they don't like him. And so they're going to say terrible things about him, whether they're true or not, doesn't matter in the least to them. They simply do not care. They'll say anything that they think will work in the public mind to make him seem like a bad person, a person of bad character who's done a bad job. The words are almost irrelevant. You know, they could call him a, a you know, a, a stupid potty head or something. And, you know, like like a third, uh, like a, a three year old, you know, a stupid, silly, you know. Whatever. I can't even think of what three year olds say, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, they could they, they it'd have the same effect. I mean, this is what they're doing. It's just I don't like Trump. I don't like Trump. Uh, you know, J- John Heilman, uh, another one of these lib journos who's just sort of clinging to a former relevance. And now that people know more about the world, I think they know that they should not listen to people like this. Here's what he says about Trump. Play five. And someone commented, the, the, the quote was, nice death cult you got there, GOP. And that really is, I mean, this is yeah. the other thing. It goes back to another, like, so the, one of the core, I mean, it really does, I'm using a phrase like death cult about uh, one of the great American political parties in our, in our nation's history. To say that we would have once seemed hyperbolic, but it increasingly does feel like the Republican Party has become a death cult. And it's all about Donald Trump. And I do think, again, one of the things that sets Trump apart, 
Like, what are the things that set Trump apart from every other president? The pathology of the lying, the cruelty, the not taking this, you know, not making the virus central when any other president of any party that we've ever experienced in, in our lifetimes would have made the virus front and center. Republicans are a death cult. Yeah, we, we want people to die. Sure. Uh, we don't care about people dying. Where do the most people die from this pandemic per capita? Blue states run by Democrats, where Democrats are in charge of state and local health authorities and Democrats are in charge of setting policies. New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, the worst hit place, Illinois, Michigan, the worst hit places by COVID-19. Democrats in charge. But Trump is running the death cult. Governor Cuomo sends thousands of seniors with COVID-19 back into their nursing homes by order of the state creating a huge spike in deaths in those nursing homes from COVID. But Trump is running a death cult. Right. Because of what decision that he made exactly? Oh, his rhetoric or his tone. or It's pathetic, isn't it? Their arguments are just garbage. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Charges today in the case involving Brianna Taylor, a EMT who was killed in Louisville, Kentucky, back in March. Uh, this case has gotten a tremendous amount of attention from the media. Uh, you've seen celebrities like LeBron James. I mean, huge, uh, uh, you know, followings on social media have have a, have taken a lot of time to focus on this case. Uh, here's what we know after today. There are three officers involved in this raid. Uh, it was it was executing a search warrant. We shouldn't call it a raid. It was executing a search warrant. And we have been told that it was a no knock, a no knock raid. That was what they said. Turns out that wasn't true. They did knock. The police did announce their presence. So they banged on the door and said, police open up. And then a, a guy involved here. Kenneth Walker, who is believed to perhaps alleged to be involved in the drug trade, uh, he shot at those officers. The officers returned fire, and in returning fire, they accidentally hit Breonna Taylor. Look, it's a tragedy. All right, that woman did not deserve to get shot at all. It was not a. It was not justified in the sense that she posed any kind of a threat, and that the officers meant to shoot her, but she was in the line of fire for officers who were returning fire because one of the officers was shot by Breonna Taylor's boyfriend. So here we have a case where the cops say, open up police, and then they enter after giving notice of their, and some guy pulls out a gun and shoots an officer. What do we expect the officers to do? What is the, you know, what does the mob, and we're, we're preparing for riots across the country now because of this case. What are we demanding of police officers in this circumstance. How many of them have to get shot before they return fire? Now, we're really to believe that this guy, Kenneth Walker, uh, didn't didn't know that these were cops. It's 3 a.m. They're knocking on the door. They're saying police. And he opens up and starts shooting. You know, there is a culpability here for not knowing who you're shooting at, too. Meaning who you're attempting, who you're trying to shoot. The problem on the other end here is that police in trying to return fire on Kenneth Walker hit a a bystander in this case. Now, there are charges 
that have come from this. And I'm trying to read into this because it's just it's just uh, just breaking today, uh, breaking now, actually, as I'm as I'm uh, addressing you with this. And I'm, I'm trying to, to make sure that I, I get these these correctly. Um, but there are three charges of effectively reckless endangerment from one of the officers. From what I understand, it's that he they're saying he fired his weapon too many times under the circumstances and endangered other people. It's a class D felony, uh, could go to prison for five years. So really, this is they wanted to charge an officer with something so that they could say that they put charges out there because people are so, um, you know, so upset about the death of this woman. And look, it, it is just be very clear about this. It is a tragedy that Breonna Taylor died. OK, it is a tragedy. This young woman died. It was it was an accident it was a tragic accident these law enforcement officers were not trying to shoot her they were returning fire and she was it was in a dark hallway in an apartment building and she got hit and you know the family is going to receive a large uh, i believe actually already has received a large payment from the city of, of louisville i mean this should not have happened but to say that the officers involved were criminal were racist were uh were murderers which is what we've been led to believe by the media for a long time here, right? This is part. This has been a BLM rallying cry over Breonna Taylor for months. It is not the case. It is simply not the case that they murdered this woman. That it was excessive or brutal force. It was exactly what I described to you: police returning fire legitimately. And the Black Attorney General for Kentucky said exactly that: it was a justified use of force from police officers to open fire on Kenneth Walker. So, you know, this is just a question of, uh, you know, what what are you supposed to expect? What are the officers going to do now? The the charges against them, uh, the charges against them uh, or rather against one officer, two of the officers are facing no charges. I mean, to me, this is just they want to say that they found a criminal charge here. And this is a troubling precedent that keeps getting set in different places across the country where because the mob is so upset let's at least give them something let's charge to placate the mob we saw this in that terrible case in omaha where there was a lawful self-defense and the individual their gardener uh was essentially fed to the angry mob i mean fed to the wolves over this one because it was a black BLM protester who attacked him and the mob doesn't doesn't want anyone to think they're allowed to defend themselves against the tactics of BLM. So they brought in a special prosecutor here. We have the Kentucky AG saying we're going to charge these men, um, even though officers Mattingly and Cosgrove, I'm sorry, we charge a man, one officer, even though officers Mattingly and Cosgrove were justified in their use of force because the third officer fired, you know, fired two. Uh, too many rounds. I mean, put a reckless endangerment charge. Come on. We know what this is, folks. Putting a criminal charge on someone to try to mollify the mob. And you know what? It's not going to work. Get ready for mayhem because that's what the left does. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get a view from the front lines of the fight, friends. We now have Congressman Matt Gates with us. He is the, well, of course, congressman from down in Florida, also podcast host. He's got a new book out, Firebrand, 
dispatches from the front lines of the MAGA revolution. He is indeed on those front lines. Congressman, great to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me, Buck. Uh, let's start with this, man, because you're in D.C. right now. You're, you're in the Capitol. Uh, there are protests going on, more stuff expected. What do you think is going to be happening on Capitol Hill while we have this super intense election and then monumentally fierce battle over a Supreme Court seat going on at the same time? Well, uh, you know, the Michael Bloomberg political operation wrote a memo that had a few things in it that were right. One is that it's very difficult to convince people to vote for Joe Biden, that there needs to be a mobilization effort more than a persuasion effort. They view that as a losing battle. And also that Donald Trump is likely to win the vote on Election Day. And so the entire scenario you see playing out from the legal vector to kind of the street theater that you see going on, you know, just outside the window where I am right now. Uh, is that they want to create space between Donald Trump's Election Day win and some other moment to try to deprive him of the presidency or undermine the legitimacy of his presidency. And during the pendency of that period of time, they want to create confusion over mail-in ballots, when they were postmarked, what can be counted, uh, and the hopes that that will allow them to take power, even if it is not that it, that which is vested to uh, their political operation on election day as a result of the electoral college. So I think we're in that dire circumstance. Uh, and I think that it just shows how transformational President Trump is that uh, these are the links they're going to. And we've seen reporting that the, the Bloomberg operation is spending a lot of money to pay off. I mean, you're a congressman from Florida, so you know the political scene down there as well as the national level very well. Uh, they're spending money. Bloomberg is spending money to pay off the debts of convicted felons as part of this mobilization? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, not all convicted felons, like not if you're white, Buck. So they have written memos identifying specific racial and like voter propensity segments of the felon population uh, that are trying to get their rights restored. And they're going and paying off those specific things to try to incentivize the vote. Now, that's a very dangerous thing to do. It's a felony in the state of Florida to either directly or indirectly offer something of value uh, in exchange for someone altering their voting behavior, not even who they would vote for or not, but whether they would vote or not. And in this case, you literally have the Bloomberg political operatives writing the confession, saying that they are doing uh, these payoffs for these political outcomes. I've encouraged our state attorney general to direct the statewide prosecutor to start an investigation. Uh, she says she's on top of it. And so I'm hopeful that we'll be able to determine if this is even legal, what's going on. Because let me just tell you something. If Sheldon Adelson was like, forget giving casino debt for people that were going to go vote for Donald Trump, they would be storming his house like it was Roger Stone 2.0. That is a terrifying thought, by the way. It's like a zero dark 30 moment. All of a sudden they come in through the windows. They're rappelling in with the MP5s to get Roger Stone, of course, as we know. Very, very different when there's a Democrat who is uh, in the government's crosshairs. Uh, tell us what you you're expecting here for how they can block the Amy Coney Barrett nomination. We, we know that they can't do it on votes. We know they can't do it under the Constitution, but they're the Democrats, Pelosi and Schumer out there, among others, are making this case that they, you know, Pelosi said a quiver of arrows. Uh, Schumer is well, he's just being Schumer making stuff up, but he's saying, oh, we're going to find a way. Is there is there something we're not looking? I've been saying that that they're going to lie down in the streets. They're going to block access to the building. They're going to pull the fire alarm. They're going to, you know, things like that. Is there something we're missing either procedurally or otherwise? No, I mean, look, we have the power and 
we damn well better use it or we'll demoralize our own base. Uh, my expectation is that Mitch McConnell is going to hold this vote uh, very proximate to the election, probably before the election. Uh, I'm also uh, expecting the Democrats to try to use uh, various procedural endeavors to try to jam that, but I don't think they'll be successful. But like, what's rich to me, Buck, is that they spent years saying that Donald Trump was undermining our institutions and that he was this like great threat to throw off all norms of democracy. And now because he's likely to get reelected, Democrats are talking about packing the court and like maybe even impeaching the attorney general of the United States just to create a procedure bomb in the Senate. Ludicrous. Yeah, they're, they're threatening the very institutions that they claim Trump has been a threat to for years. I think the irony is lost on very few people that have not suffered from intense TDS over the last few years. So so your book, Matt, you're, you're talking about being on the front lines of the MAGA uh, revolution. And and right now, obviously, the president's out there making his case to the American people about why why he should get four more years uh, for, for you, I mean, when you're speaking to either your constituents or you're, you're just addressing a, a national audience on on cable news or shows like this one, what, what are the what are the biggest points that you that you make about why Trump should get? Why has he earned? You know, the first time around, it was based on ideas, charisma, you know, the promise of Trump. Right now, we've had him for four years. What are the big areas where you say, look at this and it will be that based on what we've already seen? Donald Trump has changed politics by keeping promises. Uh, you look at our relationship with Israel. You look at the, w the way we became an energy producing country, an energy dominant country. And then, of course, building the strongest economy that the United States has ever known. This is a guy who's done it once. He can do it again. But I think he's done something even more important for the next generation of conservatives. He's led a political realignment. No longer are we going to be the Republican Party that invades everywhere and invites every illegal alien to cross our borders uh, just because it's good for corporate America to have cheap labor. No longer are we going to accept trade deals that impoverish you know, regular towns in our country so some multinational corporation can add a little bit to their next bottom line. So I think there's a real America first theme to our politics. I think that's animated in specific policies. You know, I think that Republicans, frankly, didn't do the president a great deal of uh, service at the beginning when we had unified control of the government. We should have done a lot more on immigration. We should have done a lot more on entitlement reform. I blame the failed leadership of Paul Ryan uh, on that. And look, the reason the Russia probe went on so long is because you had folks like Trey Gowdy out there shilling for the FBI, you know, saying that they were doing nothing wrong when the rest of us were saying, look, this is a coup underway because they do not like this man so much. They will let any any end or they will let the ends justify any means. And now, in fact, we know people are getting indicted and pleading guilty for changing evidence before a secret court. So the book is kind of my walk through that and my hope that going forward, we're a populist, excited party and that we're not going back to the Bushes or the Cheneys uh, or the next, uh, you know, the next iteration of establishment conservatism. How is it looking for us in Florida right now? And this is obviously I mean, I think people would say Florida, Ohio are the two most important. I mean, you got to get Florida and Ohio. Are, are we going to be in a position on Election Day to win? And, and why? I mean, I, you're probably look, you're optimistic. I'm optimistic. So we both think Trump will win Florida. But why is Trump going to win Florida? I want the audience to hear that. 
So like, I'll give you a look at 2018. I was very involved in Governor DeSantis' campaign. There was no poll we ever took during the general election where we were ahead. We were always like two, three, four points behind. And then, you know, some polls we would maybe be tied. At the end, Ron DeSantis wins a very close race. The turnout model in Florida, I think, uh, is going to uh, really be good for the president because you got a lot of seniors that are NPAs that are not here for the Woketopia. I mean, the Woketopia for senior voters in Florida is year-round golf, not riots in the streets and reparations coming out of people's bank accounts. And so I think that that will help the state. Also, Miami-Dade County looks very different for Joe Biden than it did for Hillary Clinton. Uh, these A lot of working-class Hispanics in Miami-Dade County maybe just a generation or two removed from actual socialism. And they don't want to go back. They want to be a part of building a great country. And uh, they, uh, I think, are very turned off by the Joe Biden, Kamala Harris embrace of what you see going on in Portland and San Francisco and some of these places where quality of life is deteriorating rapidly. How's the president's spirits these days? I know you're in constant contact with him. Hey, he is real excited about this Supreme Court pick. You know, when we talked about it the other day, he he talked about the sizzle, the substance, just getting someone that was a total package that could really go in there and uh, add something to the jurisprudence of our country and really build on this Trump legacy of reshaping the court. Like all these Republicans that were the never Trumpers and oh, he violates norms. Like would they have preferred Hillary Clinton to make these three picks? We, we'd have like the purple-haired, genderless warlord from the Chaz as the next Supreme Court justice, uh, rather than the folks we have there who I think are going to interpret the Constitution and not embrace the judicial activism that's very anti-democratic. Florida Congressman Matt Gates, everybody. Download his podcast. Also, pick up his new book, Firebrand Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution. Amazon.com, other places you can grab it. Congressman, great to see you, man. Come back soon. Thanks, Buck. I appreciate it, man. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We've talked about the Breonna Taylor uh, case today and the decision that was made there in Kentucky. And I also mentioned the Gardner case, who tragically was was pushed to commit uh, suicide because they were charging him with murder when he defended himself against assault outside of his own bar in Omaha, Nebraska. And now we have uh, more footage as well in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. People are saying that he committed first degree murder. That that's that's an outrage. Here, here's the Fox write up of this additional video footage that aired last night on Tucker Carlson's show. Kyle, uh, new newly released video footage from the night Illinois teenager Kyle Rittenhouse shot and killed two people during unrest in Kenosha, Wisconsin last month could support the claim that the 17-year-old was being attacked by demonstrators and acted in self-defense. The footage, provided by a nonprofit organization affiliated with Rittenhouse's defense attorney, was shown on Tucker Carlson tonight on Tuesday and raised questions about the events that led up to the shooting. Rittenhouse faces felony charges, including first-degree intentional homicide. Okay, they're charging this kid with first-degree murder, folks, but among many other charges. His attorneys argue Rittenhouse argue, uh, acted in self-defense. So here's what you see in the video. The footage shows Rittenhouse running with a fire extinguisher. Rosenbaum appears uh, to chase after Rittenhouse when a single gunshot is, is fired. Now, Rose, Rosenbaum, Joseph Rosenbaum, uh, is a convicted child molester. 
who was committing arson. So those are the kind of people that are part of the BLM movement. Okay, Convicted child molester Joseph Rosenbaum was lighting things on fire. Quote, surrounded Rittenhouse squeezed four shots in Rose, uh, surrounded Rittenhouse rather squeezed four shots in Rosenbaum's direction. Seconds later, three additional shots were reportedly fired by an unknown shooter. One bullet grazed Rosenbaum's head while another penetrated his right groin, his left thigh and his back. Kyle Rittenhouse fired four shots initially that night. Another four were fired. We still don't know who fired them. No one else has been arrested or charged. At this point, according to the video's narration, an unidentified protester strikes Rittenhouse in the head, causing him to fall to the ground. Another protester attempts to jump on Rittenhouse, who then fires two shots into the air. Yet another protester then strikes Rittenhouse in the back of the head with what appears to be a skateboard while reaching for the teen's rifle. Rittenhouse fires a single shot, striking the man in the chest. The video appears to show another protester advancing with a handgun aimed at Rittenhouse, who fired off around and struck the man arm, um, struck the man in the bicep. So you got a convicted child molester who is lighting fires, a bunch, you know, who, who has the first exchange here with Rittenhouse. A bunch of shots ring out likely at Rittenhouse. Someone's firing at him. And then the mob tries to, and we've seen this video many times, physically assault him. The mob tries to take his weapon and, and I'm sure kill him with it. Somebody who's, who's attacking him has a pistol in his hand when he's doing it. I think they just didn't believe that Rittenhouse would actually use his rifle. I, I really think that that's a big part of this. They figured, you know, he's just some... You know, MAGA hat wearing, you know, wannabe. They just figured that he wasn't really going to do anything with it. And so they could attack him and, you know, beat him senseless, maybe kill him. And that's and they found out at least some of the people attacking him. that that was not true. That he was willing to use the rifle that he brought to that uh, that riot scene in self-defense. And this is this, friends, is, is a really a foundational issue uh, for our rule of law in this country, do you have the right to defend yourself? The police officers in the Breonna Taylor case, they were being shot at after they knocked and said police. If we're, if we're going to say that they're not allowed to shoot back then, you're, you're saying the cops can never shoot. So at least they didn't try to charge those cops with murder, but that would have been, out, been outrageous beyond words. But they are charging one officer with three counts of, of, of reckless endangerment. There's that. And then... You also have this case in Kenosha where someone used a rifle to defend himself. They're charging with first degree murder. I mean, a, a depraved, really the, the, the highest crime in our legal system. I mean, you could get the death penalty for first degree murder. They're going to execute this kid because he didn't allow himself to get beaten to a bloody pulp and maybe murdered with his own weapon or murdered with the weapons that these other lunatics who were rioting had. How could any person of good faith and, and any person with a with a decent sense of justice see what's happened in some of these cases, see what happened in Omaha, where where when a prosecutor reviewed the footage, it's on video, said, yeah, you can't actually tackle a guy to the ground who's got a gun and try to beat his face in and think that he's not going to shoot you. Sorry, that was the first pass at it. But oh, no, the mob demands a scalp. The mob demands there has to be charges against people who are trying to defend themselves. It's appalling, friends. This should not be happening, but this is increasing the country that we live in, where prosecutors know 
that it's not just their election prospects, because prosecutors in many places have to run, you know, district attorneys have to run for office. It's an elected position. And other prosecutors who are just on line prosecutors, as they say, they don't want their careers to stall out. They want to be elevated. They want to be the attorney general for a state or maybe the attorney general of the United States. They want to be an AUSA or the U.S. attorney. They don't want to just be a district, you know, an assistant district attorney. And then there's the safety considerations that are raised for that, for the prosecutors and the politicians that are that are pushing for some of these things. Because if you if you believe in self-defense now, you may and you're a public figure, you may find yourself on the wrong side of a mob gathering outside of your home. You may find yourself in a situation where you have an angry mob that has gathered and that's threatening your, your wife and children because you believe the Second Amendment and the, and the right to self-defense are, in fact, the law because they are. But people don't want that. They don't want that attention. We are seeing a very, unfort- a very unfortunate uh, period here of cowardice that is growing within the legal system. And the angry mob is exploiting it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our friend Will Riccardella from the Washington Examiner is back in the mix, back in action here with us now. He is at the Washington Examiner. Will, great to have you. Thanks for having me back, Buck. So I know you're you're very uh, very clear on your your thoughts on the legitimacy, if we're going to say that the Senate has rules beyond what are kind of official rules, right, that the, the senators can, that the McConnell rule doesn't preclude, if anyone even cares, which I honestly don't, but the McConnell, I mean, meaning that, you know, I think that the rules are the rules, but uh, if people are going to hold them to the McConnell rule, there's no reason not to fill the seat. Explain. Yeah, look, the McConnell rule, but if it is a rule, and if that's what the left wants to use, that's the exact reason why Donald Trump has the authority uh, to, to nominate a judge and for the Senate to, to uh, hold a vote. Look, you know, he said, at, you know, this is when Barack Obama was president, obviously, uh, uh, in, in 2016. Uh, I'm sorry, in 2014, when the Senate won, uh, the, the, when the GOP won the Senate, Barack Obama was president. That's when there was, uh, Antonin Scalia died thereafter. They wanted, you know, Barack Obama nominated somebody. Mitch McConnell said, look, we just had a, an election here in the midterms. We took the Senate. The people obviously want to change. Let's wait and see what happens for the next uh, election. You know, let's make this a referenda about judges. 2016 was in part, in large part, about the next president nominating judges and that GOP Senate approving them. So if the McConnell rule is a reason or the left using the McConnell rule as a reason not to appoint judges is absurd. It's the exact reason why they should uh, nominate and appoint judges. What do you think they're going to do? I mean, I keep asking people this because I'm wondering if there's some, you know, some plot that I haven't, I'm just sitting here trying to war game out because you, you know, man, they, they are losing their minds over this empty seat right now. You know, the timing for them, look, the timing for them is bad. <laughs> there's no good. The Democrats, they, you know, they, they, uh, they are, this is not good for them. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not kind of enjoying how bad it is for them. But do you, do you see any pathway that they have in any realm to try to stop this? You know, what are they going to do? No. And I see I, I see their attempts as damaging. Look, what the left is saying right now is we want the uh, we want the opportunity to appoint a judge. Well, they're coming up with every way to violate the Constitution or to denude it entirely. But saying, you know, what? we're going to pack the courts with people who like liberal uh, orthodoxy. 
The problem here with these things being so contentious is that leftist activist judges turned the court into a political body where once stood a neutral legal institution, and it's completely insulated from the body politic, from democratic process. The left did that. And what they're saying is, hey, you know what, we're going to double down more on this lunacy, and it's not going to win over any of the people. This is actually going to probably help Donald Trump uh, coming up in the 2020 election. It helped him in 2016 when Mitch McConnell said, let's wait for the next election. People in large part wanted Donald Trump or, uh, to, to be the one to appoint these judges. I don't think people, and this is going back, I read uh, uh, Robert Board's book, I'm rereading his book, Attempting of America, he wrote in 1990. Even at that time, uh, Americans and polls and so on showed that they wanted neutral justices, not activists on the court. And I think that still holds today, and I think that works in Trump's favor. And the, the, the left just going bananas saying he's going to, he's, he's uh, packing the court because he gets to, to uh, nominate another justice is absurd. Um, they're coming up with these crazy, we're going to get two more states and we're going to have four more senators. You know, they want to add Puerto Rico and D.C. in order to, you know, they want to abolish the, 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 the electoral college. They want to destroy the Constitution and then at the same time say, hey, look, we're trying to save. I mean, that's, that's, that's pure absurdity. Speaking of Will Ricardella down at the Washington Examiner, uh, there, there are protests that I see. Friends of mine in D.C. are, are posting video from their windows of the marches in the streets that are going on there. I think people often forget DC is after San Francisco, the most liberal, most Democrat heavy uh, major city in America and by, by party affiliation. I mean, DC, the swamp is as blue as it gets. And you have these marchers as, as well as the people that come from out of state, these more Antifa style agitators who will join in with the lunatics in DC. Are, are you expecting, I mean, are, are there uh, preparations going on now? for you know unrest riots things like that leading up to the election and beyond i mean how are things looking down in dc well i they should be prepared because since may 25th since the george for the george floyd uh death there's been something going on every single day riots uh you know donald trump had the uh his, his rnc acceptance speech on the, at the white house that was a debacle this goes on every single day. And I want to add that these, D.C. is not liberal. These are socialist Marxists. These are people who are down for the cause. I'm talking the everyday people on the, uh, on the streets, the people who live here. You know, I'll walk down the street without a mask on. I'll have people telling me to put one on, giving, you know, looking at me nasty, walking completely around. Uh, walk on the street. They'd rather dodge cars and walk. Past yeah, me why, why can't I don't wear a mask if I'm walking or running? Why, why can't we get Dr. Fauci? I mean, he loves the press so much. Tell everybody, hey. Stop Stop yelling at people who are by themselves out in open air, you know, on a sunny day to wear a mask. You're, you're being a jackass that that should because that is what the science universally says there. There's absolutely no justification for a person by himself out in open air having to wear a mask. It does not exist. Why, why can't we hear that from these health authorities? It would be nice to, you know, deescalate some of the insanity a little bit. Well, it's typical of the expert class, the elite class. What if there's no panic? Why would anybody listen to Dr. Fauci? You see this guy on Times 100 list again. I say this every time I come on, that in-style magazine with the sunglasses on, and he's sitting there with his legs crossed. If people aren't panicked or scared or yelling at each other, they wouldn't look to Dr. Fauci for anything. Six months ago, no one knew who this guy was. Six months later, he still hasn't gotten a thing right. Not one thing right. Tells you wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Uh, be, you know, the kids, this is going to harm. Remember that whole thing where he was talking to Rand Paul several months ago about how this is terrible for kids and it's going to give them the Kawasaki disease? That just disappeared. 
Never did anybody say this guy was brutally wrong. It just disappeared out of the headlines, and people are still listening to him. Again, I think it would be a good move for Donald Trump to fire him ahead of the election and say, we're not going to be run by an unelected expert class anymore, and they're not going to pit him. We're not, I'm not going to allow them to pit Americans against Americans. I think that would be a good move for him. I think so, too. I, I'm, I'm worried that uh, we're already transitioning now into another moving of the goalposts where, because you're seeing this, Will, I mean, it, it's coming out from some of the different folks. I saw the testimony today on Capitol Hill from, uh, you know, Redfield over at the CDC. And, uh, they're, they're already starting to say, well, you know, even when the vaccine comes, like, we got to keep all these restrictions in place. Oh, so now it's now it's post-vaccine lockdown world we're supposed to live in. I mean, these people are completely insane. Oh, yeah. they Look, they're holding. They love the control. Look, I want to tell the viewers out there that a mask walking past somebody's not going to help you. Uh, there's only one way that this disease spread long before mask mandates and now, and that's 15 minutes of close contact, mainly indoors. If you're an older, vulnerable person, uh, that's what you should probably want to avoid. Uh, you don't really need to worry so much when you're at the grocery store. These are not major vectors for spread. The mask will not protect you if you're in a situation with somebody who's 15 minutes or longer of close contact. That's talking, shaking hands indoors. Uh, I don't know why the CDC just won't come out and say that. Uh, they think that I think that they think that you know these vulnerable people wear a mask and then they can hang out in those situations. Still, the CDC actually has it on their website saying it's not going to make a difference. It may help. Well, what also what may help is if I cover my cough or sneeze with my hand or my or my arm. So, you know, it, it's very inconsistent. No one knows what they're talking about. That's the problem here. And no one's been fired for it. Again, look, all these Americans, we make a mistake at our jobs. We get fired. OK, and then we have a hard time on our resume getting another job because we don't have a recommendation. This has never happened. To, this isn't going to happen to Dr. Fauci. And the problem is it hasn't happened since he was in the. Uh, since he was a bureaucrat in the 80s. He's probably made uh, how many several hundred mistakes and still has a job. It's, it's fascinating. And no American can really identify with it because if we make the same mistake, we're out of a job. Will Ricardella of the Washington Examiner, everybody. Will, always good to talk to you, man. Come back soon. Thanks, Buck. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Yeah, we've um, wanted to see a phase four uh, relief bill get to the American people. It's why the chief of staff and Secretary Mnuchin um, have been in negotiations. Um, Unfortunately, though, they've been in negotiations with a fundamentally unserious partisan named Speaker Pelosi, who, when we would exceed what she asked for with school funding, let's say, uh, she then would reject the money that was in excess of what she had previously asked for. Um, Democrats, I think, showed what they were about uh, when they filibustered a bill that would have provided $300 a week to the American people through December 27th. They filibustered that, I believe, last week. So at this point, um, the onus is really on Speaker Pelosi. Um, We encourage her to send one-off bills, perhaps airline funding uh, or other elements that we could work through the process to get to the American people. It's always been this president's priority to do that. Why isn't there a COVID relief bill? Everyone agrees there should be. The government continues to mandate that businesses can't operate, can't open. There's not a COVID relief bill. Because Nancy Pelosi doesn't want there to be. And her claim is just not enough. So nothing is better than something in Pelosi's view. If you're suffering right now, if your business is closing, if you can't pay your bills, Nancy Pelosi wants it to be clear that you need to keep suffering. And then her justification for it is, oh, no, I want to get you more. Uh, Well, let me tell you, that's 
that's very little comfort to people who have a hard time actually paying the bills that they currently have. It's very little comfort indeed. Um, the uh, other thing that you're hearing a lot these days now is, is we, we've returned. We've returned to mask shaming just in time for the election. I'm seeing a lot of this now. And, and I'm I'm so fed up with New Yorkers who are overwhelmingly Democrats, eight to one Democrats who are just little mask maniacs now. You know, they're wearing them. They're on a bicycle by themselves, by the Hudson River. Nobody around them. They're moving fast. They got a mask on. And look, if they want to do it, that's I don't care. But they're doing it and they expect you do it too. outside. Bend the knee. Wear a mask. Why? Because that's what the good people do. You see, this is how this is how Democrat brainwashing works. This is how they uh, this is how they do things. I got to say, I liked earlier today. There wasn't trying to see if I can if I can find it here on the fly. There was a Matt Walsh tweet. When the left is upset about something, we board up our homes and call on the National Guard. He writes, there's no both sides argument here. Leftism is evil. It's a blight on the earth and everything about it is bad. (laughs) I agree. I agree. I, I don't I don't respect the Democrat ideology. I don't think that it has some some good stuff anymore. I think they've really become uh, they've really become terrible. They've really become uh, something that just 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 needs to be defeated. Uh, but the uh, mask mania is just a part of it. And there was there's a fast. Oh, sorry. The, the mask shaming. Of course, here's Chris Cuomo who likes to lecture America about obeying the COVID rules while he's going between his various houses in the Hamptons as a multimillionaire, uh, checking to see how, wh- while he's COVID positive and very sick. But, you know, he's a good guy to listen to on this. Play 13. Third worst loss of life in our history. I'm sorry for the family's loss. And I'm sorry that you had to hear this from your president. It affects virtually nobody. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. Uh, then... This I'll never lie to you. Press secretary tells you the death toll has the president awake at night. So worried that he stands maskless in front of a tight crowd again tonight, telling jokes instead of holding maybe a moment of silence for the 200,000 stolen by this pandemic. Maybe trying to prevent some of these good people. In this crowd, we're too close together and without masks from sharing their fate. First of all, a lot of them were wearing masks. I watched the rally last night as it happened. A lot of them were wearing masks. Not everybody, but if a mask works, shouldn't that, you know, why do we never get partial credit? This is this is important. Think about this. You have 100 people in a room and you don't know how many of them have COVID, maybe two, maybe 10. It's going to be a small number. But 50 percent of the people are wearing masks if masks are uh, so effective then we should feel like we're probably going to be okay, right? It's not that easy for this to spread. I'm just saying. I mean, 50% is better than zero. It's substantially better, isn't it? And then there, were, there was a, a big chunk from what I could see on the screens, a big chunk of them were in masks. Uh, even though, let's also remember that if they're outside, do they, do they, should they wear a mask? Is that the same thing? Wearing a mask outside? Where was all this uh, outrage from uh, Cuomo over at CNN when there were daily mass gatherings outside, sometimes masked, a lot of times not masked, over the BLM movement. I'm sorry, I, I haven't forgotten yet that the blue check MDs out there, not all of them, but a lot of them, 
were trying to convince us that, well, even if it spreads the virus, these BLM protests are worth it. That's what they were saying. That, 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 was, the re- that was the real story from even if it spreads the virus, the BLM protests are worth it. Oh, okay. I'm never letting that go. And something else I want to tell you about, too, because there's so little time. I mean, we look, we've lost the covid narrative battle on the right and people that try to keep this all in perspective. We've we've lost the. Uh, uh, you know, the, the dominant narrative in all of this, uh, because the left has just been they've been utterly relentless. But, you know, there is a, a piece that's making the rounds now from a former senior, a former senior scientist at Pfizer in the U.K., Talking about PCR testing. Now, I don't want to get to you. Look, do I? I'm not a scientist, but I can read and I understand a lot of stuff. Uh, certainly more than CNN anchors do. And here's what I can tell you what he's saying about the test. There's a very small percentage of overall when these when these PCR tests are done, a very small percentage of people actually have covid who are, you know, when they're when they're doing these tests. Let's say it's for every 10,000 tests they're doing, you know, let's say if you're looking at 1% of people that actually have COVID, you, you extrapolate that number. There is always also a false positive rate. And the false positive rate for PCR testing on COVID right now is looking to be like it's substantial. They're not, they're not exactly sure what it is, but it's built in. It has to be substantial. And right now, based on very he, he walks you through how based on very widespread testing where they're doing thousands and thousands and thousands of tests every day. There, at least in the UK, he's talking in, in the context of the UK, based on the numbers that they see of the percentage of the population with covid overall that are doing these tests, because a vast majority of people that do the tests do not do not come back or do not actually have covid, I should say. And the false positive number by per, by percentages, the false positive number is larger than the positive number per every 10,000 tests done. Now, it's not a lot out of 100. You think, OK, well, two percent of uh, of cases are false positives. Well, think about how many false positive cases then you're generating every day when you're doing 10,000 tests. And if only one percent of the population actually has covid but two percent of the population is testing positive through these. And that's it's established. I mean, I'm, this is not a conspiracy. PCR testing has a false positive rate. They'll find a strand of like decayed RNA from a virus infection from six months ago. Positive. So it's at least two or three percent false positive rate. So if you're oh, and I know this sounds a little, but if your overall actual covid positivity out of out of every 10,000 person sample is about 1% and your PCR test false positive is 2 or 3%, guess what? Most of the cases in the UK under this model that they're reporting as COVID positive who are overwhelmingly asymptomatic don't actually have COVID. Look at the numbers. In New York, we're below 1% of cases are positive in New York City. So if you have a 2 or 3% false positive rate, you're doing 10,000 tests a day. Guess what? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, I can't forget about that Senate report. 
and uh, and Joe Biden, son Hunter Biden, and what we see going on with going on with all that. Here's a, a thread that explains some of this from uh, Kim Strassel of the Wall Street Journal. The Johnson Grassley report raises the many and disturbing conflicts of interest surrounding Hunter's business dealings while Joe was vice president. But it also makes clear the Democratic nominee is not being straight with the public. Joe Biden last year said, I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. That's pretty definitive, right? Yet, according to testimony from former Obama official Amos Hochstein, he briefed Joe on his concerns about Hunter and Burisma in 2015, of October 2015. And shortly after his conversation with Vice President Biden, Hunter Biden contacted Hochstein and asked to meet. According to Hochstein, Hunter became aware of Hochstein's West Wing conversation with the vice president who had mentioned it to Hunter. So Joe Biden was specifically briefed on the U.S. government's concerns about Hunter and Burisma, and he specifically brought up those concerns to his son. How does that comport with I have never spoken? If Joe isn't asked about this at the debate, it's journalistic malpractice. Well, then we know it's not going to happen. The report similarly shows that despite former Secretary of State John Kerry saying he had no knowledge of any of any of this, he, in fact, was also briefed on Hunter Biden. Seems a lot of people in the Obama administration knew this was a problem, but nobody acted. This is all relevant, given Biden's claim he has a more ethical choice in this election Voters might legitimately ask if the wink not approach to Hunter's wheeling dealing will be business as usual in a Biden administration. Uh, so now that, that's that's the, the uh, very good take, version of the takeaway here that you should all have from this. But I'll, I'll give you some of the specifics as people are saying Hunter Biden, you know, was. Um, oh, I love this. The New York Times Republican inquiry finds no evidence of wrongdoing by Hunter Biden. That's the that's the New York Times headline. The New York Post headline, same same report they're talking about. Quote, Senate report links Hunter Biden to prostitution or human trafficking ring. Oh, that seems like a very a very different takeaway than what the Democrats had. Hunter Biden sent thousands of dollars to people who appear to be involved in the sex industry, according to a report released Wednesday by Republicans in the U.S. Senate. The report says this is the New York Post version. Unspecified records show that Biden sent funds to non-resident alien women in the United States who are citizens of Russia and Ukraine and who have subsequently wired funds they've received from Hunter Biden to individuals located in Russia and Ukraine. The records also note that some of these transactions are linked to what appear to be Eastern European prostitution or human trafficking rings. The allegations are contained in a footnote to a section of the report that details potential criminal concerns and extortion threats involving the son of Democratic vice presidential and former vice president Joe Biden, um, the Democratic presidential nominee, rather, and other members of the Biden family. Uh, the report cites extensive public reporting concerning Hunter Biden's alleged involvement with prostitution services. Records on file with the committees do not directly confirm or refute these individual reports. Uh, so, yeah, they're saying Hunter Biden uh, plays a lot of spends a lot of um, money on prostitutes who are tied to human trafficking. Now, look, I understand you can say, Buck, that's a son. It's not Joe Biden. Is it? Do you think let's just let's ask the question just so we could all be on the same page here. Do you think that if Donald Trump Jr. was sending thousands and thousands of dollars to uh, prostitutes that he was now you know, us- using the services of and including prostitutes who might be 
uh, tied to human trafficking ring. So they themselves are perhaps being human trafficked and their money, the, the proceeds they're making from that process is going to the uh, horrific process of human trafficking other people as well, you know, from the overlords that are doing all this stuff, Russian mob and so on and so forth. Do you think that if, if Donald Trump Jr. was involved in that, it would not be the biggest news story in the country for a couple of days? And all the news outlets would be saying, oh, my gosh. Yeah, we all know this, right? I mean, the, the double standard is is mind blowing, but it is certainly uh, it is certainly real. Um, you know, you can't avoid it. You can't can't assume that it's uh, going to get any better either. It's actually going to get worse between now and Election Day. But the Burisma stuff. Look, I, I was working with uh, John Solomon at the hill dot com at the time when he was breaking those stories and they were pushing all this stuff on the Burisma. You know, friends, yeah, there's, it's corrupt. It's bad. It's also not going to win us the election. It's also not going to lead to uh, uh, the, the ultimate gotcha moment. Democrats are fine with corruption on their side, and the media will just ignore how gross it is. So we can make as much noise about it as we want, but it just, this dog won't hunt, friends. The Burisma thing is not, I was never a proponent of how this is going to take down. I know some, some people on some shows you know, it's a constant, you know, Ukraine, Burisma update and everything else. I don't like making false promises to to my audience about what I think is going to be achievable by the GOP or achievable by our side in politics. I, I didn't do it with Benghazi. I didn't do it with Hunter with the Hunter Biden Burisma thing. I certainly haven't done it with the Durham probe or how many months now have I been telling you? I don't think the Durham probe is going to lead to really much of anything. I always tell this audience the truth. Too much respect for you and too much care for your respect for me to do otherwise. So while the Burisma story is interesting and it's valid, I'm not saying, I mean, look, clearly the guy, it's it's corruption, but it's not criminal corruption that is going to uh, cost Joe Biden the election. So how, how much more do we really want to talk? I mean, it's a little amusing because of the double standard and everything with the Democrats and, and it's also galling. But how much more do we really talk about want to talk about Hunter Biden? I mean, the guy's a degenerate loser and, you know, Joe Biden is obviously going to, you know, they're not going to hold him accountable. The media is not going to hold him accountable for his son, even if they would do that to a Republican. So I, I think it's a story that I'll keep you updated on, but don't expect, you know, uh, you know, smoking gun here. Don't don't expect bombshell. You know, Hunter Biden, this this guy impregnated a stripper in the back of a CD club in D.C., and then tried to fight the paternity payments, okay? That's who the soon-to-be, if the Democrats have their way, President of the United States' son is. Media has no problem with it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, sticking with us at this point in the show. Um, I, I think that this is one of our favorite parts of the show. So it's always fun when you get to this point. And uh, let's then let's jump into it, shall we? 
Uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to email us or if you want to send a Facebook message, Instagram, Buck Sexton. Let's do it. Brad writes, hey, Buck, I like that you played President Trump's reaction to RBG's passing. I consider myself to be good at reading people and their expressions. I encourage you and your listeners to check out the actual video of that reaction. If you watch his eyes, you can see a very genuine person who cares about a life. You would never get that kind of reaction out of Hillary when she learned of Benghazi or Biden when she referred to when he referred to George Floyd. They just look like someone who lost a a pawn in a chess game. Shields high. You know, Brad, I do think that Trump doesn't get enough credit for what is really a a fundamental uh, human decency and, and sympathy that that is a part of who he is. I think that the left likes to just always portray him as an evil monster who's racist and a, and a sexist and a rapist and all these things. But people who actually know the guy will tell you that he can be very sympathetic. He likes to help people out. He can be too loyal. It's one of his it is one of these things. You know, when you go to a job interview and they say, you know, tell me your weaknesses. And you say, so I take too much into my own hands and share too much of the credit. Right. I mean, people try to play that. But there are some failings that come from a good place. And I mean, loyalty can be one of them. It is possible to be too loyal to people that work with you. It is possible to be too loyal to people that you've appointed into certain roles. And I think Trump, that's that is his his thing. Now, his loyalty doesn't extend to people who trash him or who go against him. Obviously, people are saying, oh, but look who works for Trump. Yeah. I mean, if you go at Trump, he's going to go back at you. But you see the people that he gave jobs to and that he's stuck uh, stuck with through a lot. And um, yeah, I got to say, that's one of the areas where I think the president I appreciate where he's coming from on it, but it has been a a tough thing for him. And and I think it's cost him at different times. Chris, next up here. Hey, Buck and Mark, completely enjoy your daily podcast and have since your two hour show at the Blaze. Love to hear Mark as your resident sports anchor, or at least I will until the Mets, Knicks, Giants or Rangers actually start winning, whereupon he'll become an obnoxious and insufferable New Yorker. Just want to let you know that another Californian has left the building. No longer will I pay the highest income sales, carbon or gas taxes in the nation. No longer will my exceedingly high taxes go toward a bottom five education, roads, crime, homelessness or friendliness. Idaho doesn't have the lowest taxes in the nation, but the whole state is so friendly that I've strained my arm muscles waving to everyone. Masks are mostly optional. I love it in, in Idaho. Um, I moved here and instantly my daily anger with the left and their stupid short sighted policy subsided. So don't move here. I need you to stay edgy and angry because that's why you're so entertaining. Well, Chris, don't worry about that because it's certainly getting more and more tense in New York these days. I can't handle these libs. They're just they're just nuts. They're just nuts. But Mark's not a New Yorker. You don't really you actually don't really have you don't really have a, a much of a New York. I mean, I can pick it up a tiny bit. You don't really have much of a New I York accent. I used to. And then uh, when I decided I wanted to be into broadcasting, I realized you can't have a New York accent and be doing play-by-play for games. So I got rid of it. Mm. Hmm. What are the, like, what, what makes a, what makes a good play-by-play? And like I could say on, on a political talk radio, one thing that I always look for is, is this somebody uh, who has, has a, a cadence that is easy and enjoyable to listen to and follow and beyond that is saying things that are not exactly the same that everyone else is saying, right? Those are just some of the things you want for a good political talk radio host. What makes a good play-by-play guy? Uh, I was always told when I was coming up by my mentors to be conversational. 
Act like you're having a conversation with the audience, even though you're telling them what's happening. And you want good energy. You want a good cadence. You don't want somebody to be boring. You want a play-by-play guy to ha- pick the right spots to go crazy. Like Mike Breen, for example. I know a lot of people aren't watching the NBA, but when you did, he's the main guy on ESPN and ABC, calls the finals and whatnot, but he has a signature call, bang, and he knows when to pull it out at the right time. So the best guys like that just know when to have the right energy, pick their their moments, and are always clear and concise with how they uh, you know call things, and they set up their analyst well. That's always important, too. Who's the guy who was like, uh, it's pandemonium, baby. Is that uh, Dick Vitale? Yeah, he's not a play-by-play announcer. He's a color commentator. Wait, what? Wait, what? Do That's not... not the same thing? Oh, I think. Uh, the play-by-play guy is the one who goes, they score! And oh, the color so the commentator. The play is the one who's like, and Smith passes the ball to Dominguez. Dominguez yes. passes the ball back to Johnson. Johnson, that's okay. But isn't that, oh, wait. So color commentary... How, 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 who, who, I don't know. Nowadays, like is Mar- it's is usually Marv Albert play by play or color commentator? Play by play. So nowadays, a color commentator usually is a former player or coach. Uh, so okay. they're analyzing what just happened and giving you background information and telling you why it happened, stuff like that. Uh, and they work kind of as a team. I got to announce. You got the one guy who's like, and they're passing it through, and they're doing it, you know. Yes. And then the other guy's like, yeah, that was a really like good call or something. Those, so they work together. Exactly. Ah, uh, now I understand. Okay, because I was like, "How does that work?" If there's one guy doing one guy doing the play-by-play, one guy doing because I've heard before on the radio, just straight play-by-play, right? That'll happen too, like well, yeah, the baseball there's, games. There's a difference between radio and television. On television, right. the analyst will speak more. On radio, you want to hear what's happening, so the play-by-play right. guy speaks more. That's what I. Okay, All right, I learn something new every day. Adam writes, "Hey, Buck, producer Mark is gorgeous, or whatever I have to say to get this aired, <laughs> but I want your opinion on this." Hey, Adam, here you are, buddy. Success. If the Republicans end up not confirming a new Supreme Court justice, do you think it's really because they want to gain brownie points with the left? Should Biden end up winning? Or are we to believe this great moral quandary we know, uh, believe it to be this great moral quandary when we know it's not? Love your show. Shields high. Um, are, no, I, I think they're going to do it, Adam. So I, I don't think I think that they're going to do it. So I I can't really answer your why would Republicans not do it, because there is no good reason. So they're going to do it. We're going to we're going to get this. I don't overpromise on this show. That's one thing I try very hard. I don't overpromise to you guys what I think is going to happen. I I think we're going to get the Supreme Court nominee through. And I think we're going to do it before the election. I think it needs to happen before the election. David writes, is Amy Coney, Coney Barrett willing to not be liked roberts changed his mind because he wants to be liked david is a good question i'd like to say the answer is yes although i don't have much to go on with that other than my gut my instinct so yeah i think uh i think she probably is as a mother of seven who is pro-life and avowedly pro-life and is a catholic and doesn't care that people mock her faith uh i i think she probably is willing to take the slings and arrows so to speak kirk Buck, on Monday's show, you played AOC's comment uh, that we must vote for Biden to protect our democracy and protect the most innocent and vulnerable. Are you kidding me? What irony? It is the left and RG, RBG. You guys got to stop writing RGB. because Ruth Bader Ginsburg, RBG, God rest her soul, that are responsible for maintaining and supporting laws that actually do uh, do kill the most innocent. It is the innocent in the womb via abortion. 
I'm sorry, but that one tops them all. As you often say, the left has absolutely no shame. It shows that we are not just in the middle of a political battle, but we are oftentimes in the middle of a spiritual battle. The fight over the next Supreme Court seat is for sure both. Um, Well said, sir. Well said. Scott, Buck, as a Supreme Court justice, where are the inherent apolitical standard needs to be met or where the inherent political standard needs to be met? We had a justice holding on for pure political purposes. While RBG had a right to serve until death, no one wants to to discuss the ethical breach of why she chose to do so. By the way, your sports talk with producer Mark cracks me up. Reminds me of hanging out with the girlfriend back in the day talking sports. Love the show. Whoa, Scott. Hey, I know what you're saying with that. Like, I'm the girl that needs producer Mark to explain how the touchdowns happen or something. Whatever. I mean, that is exactly what happens. <laughs> what? Whatever. I, I demand the recount. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening today. Check out BuckSexton.com. Pass the buck to somebody in your life. Tell them to download this show. iHeart app, Spotify, iTunes. Till tomorrow, Shields High.